Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. baby crying thing is the one that gets me every time. How many of you uh, parents and grandparents, raise your hands, one, two, three, go. Does that still, you're thinking middle of the night, oh gosh, yes, yes, but I've discovered the grandparent thing is pretty nice. <laughs> I've already learned the, the, the skill of wearing her out and giving her back. It's pretty, pretty good. Hey, we're to, uh, you know, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice, uh, the Bible says, and as a church family, we're in such a community that we're just going all the time. That's why we're doing this overloaded series, and this Sunday morning is really the only time we all get together, so a little bit of family celebration. Some of you are in this service, and you've already, like this weekend, uh, gone through your college graduation exercises. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Some of you have, some of you have. Blake Wilkins over here, yeah, way to go. Some of you uh, have uh, graduations upcoming, uh, college, college and grad school. Who else? Stand up. I mean, they're coming in the next few days. Yep, got Kyle there, okay. Yes, back here. Now, you guys that stood up a little slowly, are you sure you're finishing? I'm not sure, I don't know. Yeah, we're excited for you. Um, and help me with this. I, I don't know, is... is uh, Ed Jackson, are you in this room? I've, I've been looking. He, he was at early service. I missed him. I couldn't find him. Uh, Ed Jackson, member of our church, uh, this week was named one of only 40 men and women across uh, the uh, United States Army. Uh, he um, uh, was named uh, to the rank of Brigadier General this week. That's right. And so, if you know, see Ed, congratulate him. And uh, just, you know, great follower of Jesus, serving, serving Jesus and serving you and our country. And uh, glad, glad he's here. Uh, you know, we can't celebrate enough. Can't celebrate enough. We can celebrate too little, but we can't celebrate enough. Remember, Jesus taught us in, in Romans chapter 12 that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. If you want to live a life of influence, the right kind, you spend your life looking for people who have reasons to celebrate. And you applaud them. And have joy with them. And you find people who are grieving. And you go be with them. And uh, once, once we get that down, there may be some more things we can do that are more important after that. But probably not more important until we do that. Um, we are in this series, excuse me, <coughs> called Overload. And uh, as I was getting ready for the talk this week, I was reminded of... Uh, one of my favorite stories about a businessman who was down on the Redneck Riviera, the Riviera, the Gulf Coast of Florida, with a meeting with his company, and he had the afternoon uh, break between the sessions and uh, supper time, and went down to the uh, docks to see the boats come in, and he noticed big party boats coming in, one little solitary boat with one solitary fisherman uh, pulled up and got out, and he had on the stringer four huge fish. This four, and he, he, so he he engaged the fisherman and uh, said, 
wow. He said, how long, do you, how long did it take you to catch these? He said, I fish about three hours a day. He said, it took me about three hours. He said, what are you going to do with them? He said, well, I'm going to go in here to the warehouse. I'm going to sell three of them. I'm going to take one home to feed my family. And his, the businessman's entrepreneurial thoughts kicked in, and he said, hey, if you tripled your time instead of three hours a day, if you fished nine hours a day, uh, you could triple the number of those quality fish that you catch. Your profits would increase. You could afford to buy a second boat, and you could train someone else to catch the quality fish like you catch, and uh, then, then uh, your profits would continue to increase. You could get more boats. You could begin to ship your fish to restaurants around the country. Then you could go to New York City, put your company on the stock exchange. And if you worked really, really hard and very, very long, you could sell out and retire to the coast. Yeah. And fish three hours a day. Sleep late. Play with, play with your kids. You know, we, uh, most of you work really, really hard. I mean, some of you are in the home. You're working really, really hard managing homes. Some of you are in the marketplace, in the academy. Some of you are in public service. But we work really, really hard. And you know about the accelerated pace of work in the marketplace and on the job, daily responsibilities. And uh, we find ourselves people who are overloaded in unhealthy ways with work. Maybe not just in time, but it, is, it captures our mind and our imagination so that even when we're not on the job, we are there mentally. We are there mentally. We're not the only ones who've struggled with this. In fact, the wisest man who ever lived, according to the Scriptures, also struggled with this. King Solomon, in his personal prayer journal that we now know is the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, tells us that he had allowed his work to begin to take over his life in ways that were very unhealthy. And he mentions it in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. He said, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun. Now let me qualify that. See that little phrase, under the sun? It's a phrase you find him use all through the book of Ecclesiastes. It is the interpretive key to the book. Uh, It is a phrase that means with God left out on purpose. Down here, under the sun. Leaving God out of the picture. Uh, he, was, he, was, um, he was carrying on a multi-year experiment to find uh, if there was anything that could bring meaning and purpose to life without God. And so he discovered that he left God out of his work. And he said, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun without God in the picture is grievous to me. I hated the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor. What do we do when we are overloaded with overwork? Well, we are going to God's Word these few weeks to see how He can help us reduce overload in our lives and live uh, the life instead that He would have us live. So let's pray and ask Him to help us with this this morning. Lord, we do pray that You'd help us with these things. Open our minds that we may understand Your Word. Open our eyes 
that we may see wonderful things in your word. Open our, unlock our spirits, that part of us that most directly relates to you, that we may uh, believe you and place our hope and faith in you and uh, to help us uh, with this issue. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we find in the scriptures that uh, we can reinvent our work. Uh, we can reduce uh, the, the, the level of workaholism. Actually, we can be freed from workaholism uh, if we will do four things. Now, three of these are an option or actually are a demand of, of, of God for everybody. One of them is an option for some of you. And so we're going to start with the option first. Uh, you can reinvent your work. You can reduce out, uh, workaholism in your life if you'll change careers. Now, this is an option for some of you. This is the one that's not an option for everyone. Now, let me, let me give a disclaimer here. As we talk about workaholism and being overloaded with work in our lives, I'm not speaking to those of you who are overloaded because of external circumstances beyond your control. And many human beings, certainly outside, uh, in other parts of the world, are. They don't even have, they have no options. But many of us do. I'm, I'm talking about um, internally produced drivenness to work. You can reduce it by changing careers. Now, some of you didn't think you had these options uh, and discovered that you did when the big recession hit and you lost your job or your company went under or it was sold, and all of a sudden uh, where your future had been uh, a solid picture, there was now a blank, and you got with God, and you began to let your creative juices kick in and brainstorm and generate ideas and realize that there were more options. You did some self-discovery and realized you were shaped to do many other things than what you were currently doing for a living, and, and you, you changed jobs. You change careers. Sometimes that's a good thing to do. You can start envisioning your work as something meaningful and fulfilling rather than exhausting and enslaving and consuming. So the next step for you may be to, to change. Again, I understand for some this is not an option. But it might be and you don't think it is. You see, um, God knows why don't, you, why don't you ask God, begin now asking God if it's possible for you to change careers? Let's ask Him. Did you, did you seek His guidance for the job you now hold? Did you? Well, then if you didn't, maybe you're in the wrong place to begin with. Because you see, uh, we don't get to choose our jobs if you're followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, most of you in this room are. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says you are owned by and operated by. Owned and operated by Jesus. That means He gives the job assignments. I mean, that's where the HR, I say it's where HR is. It's a way above us, several floors above us. Uh, he makes the assignments. Uh, we just, as we sing to God uh, how great He is, we give our all to you. I lay me down. We sang the first song we sang to, uh, today. Lay me down. That means I'm laying down my life for you. That means we don't own ourselves. He's the owner. And, and he actually has plans. Why don't you just begin the experiment uh, by praying daily, Lord, is it possible that I could change careers? Is it possible that I could change jobs? And uh, 
see what he does. Because just like King David prayed uh, in the Scriptures and told his servants, let's pray because who knows, God may be gracious. I mean, you don't know. Who knows? God knows. Ask him. Now, anybody a little nervous about asking him that? Yeah, sure. But he has your best interest at heart. He has your best interest at heart. Again, you can trust him. He loves you and wants the best for you and wants you to serve his purposes. And that may be in another job with another organization. Uh, He knows this. Listen, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, God says this, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now, see that word hope there? Let me describe that. In in the Bible, in the Hebrew uh, language, the the phrase of the word translated hope in the English, and in the New Testament, when we find that word hope, Uh, in the English uh, New Testament, the Greek word for that, uh, those words are much bigger than our little word hope. In fact, they mean something totally different from the way we use the English word hope. For if someone says, are you going to get to get that new job, that new career that you'd like to change to? What we might say, well, I hope so. What does that mean? It means I don't know, but I really wish I would. Is that how we use the word hope? Am I right? Got it? Yeah. Not in the Bible. When the Bible says, when, when God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, to give you a hope, this word in the Bible means an absolute certainty. An absolute certainty. It's not, well, I hope God's got a future for me. Maybe he does. I, I, I would like it, but I don't know. No, no, no. It says, yes. He said, you can take this to the bank. You can bet your life on it. It is an absolute certainty. He, may, he has a plan for you. Seek him and he will show you. He will show you. Look at Psalm 32 verse 8. God says there, I will instruct you and show you the way to go with my eye upon you. He's watching over us. I will give you counsel. So here we go. You can reinvent your work. You can reduce the level of workaholism, be set free from the grip of uh, workaholism By, first of all, changing your career. Second, you can do so by changing your identity. I'm not talking about changing your name or identity theft or that kind of thing. I'm talking about how you define yourself. Change the way you view yourself. Change the way you identify yourself to yourself and to others and to God. Now, in America, we tend to define ourselves by our work. But you are much more than your work. I'm not sure how it goes with you women, but we men really have a, we really define ourselves by our work. I mean, you get a group of guys, four, five, six guys that are just meeting for the first time and they kind of gather up and maybe having a cup of coffee and pretty soon the testosterone starts flowing and and the pecking order starts, you know, being worked out and the big question starts to come now, and what do you do? Right, guys? Am I right? What do you do? It doesn't take long to get into that uh, conversation. What do you do? And, and it's, you know, is it in the, in the thinking of, is it important? Is it successful? You know, and we, ad- we tend to identify ourselves by our work. But that is not God's perspective. That is not God's perspective. If you want to reduce the level of workaholism in your life, then change your identity. Begin to view yourself primarily in terms of your relationships. 
That's the way, the, that's the way God does it. And, and, the, and the primary relationship is with Christ. This is the Apostle Paul's pr- favorite identity. Paul in Christ. See the little phrase, in Christ. I am in Christ. It's why I sign all, all of my notes, all of my letters, all of my correspondence in Christ. It's a reminder to me that I'm a, that's my identity. I am a follower of Jesus. I am in a relationship with Jesus. I know Jesus. That's the point of life. You were created to know God completely, to love Him passionately, to serve Him joyfully, to enjoy Him uh, daily, you were created to know Him, not know about Him. This is not an academic exercise. This is, we're not coming here and sit in rows and this class and let's take notes and we can learn a little theology here, but not know the God of whom we are studying. No, no, no. When the Bible speaks of knowing God, it is, it, it is, a, it is a relationship term of intimacy, uh, of knowing Him personally. Now, this is a silly illustration and I hesitate to give it, but I, I can't... I can't uh, Think of a better one. So here we go. Uh, how many of you have seen the old silly fun movie Elf? You remember the scene? Remember the scene? Santa's coming. What does he say? I know him. Well, that's the cry of a follower of Jesus. Jesus. I know him. I know him. He knows me. We spend time together. He, my life, you know, our relationships enrich us and change us, don't they? I mean, let's just let's, let's take let's not talk about Jesus for a moment, but talk about people that the people in your life that are important. That you, when you got to know them, it it, it changed you wonderfully. Simply because you now know them and they know you, and you care about each other. Same thing's true with Jesus. So identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. And then your other relationships as a spouse, as a parent, as a child, as a brother, as a sister, as a friend, as a neighbor. But begin to, to identify yourself in terms of relationships, primarily your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you will reduce the level of workaholism in your life. In fact, it will set you free from the grip of workaholism. Possibly change careers, change your identity, certainly, certainly the way you identify yourself. And third, you can do this if you will change bosses. How many of you love to change your boss? Be careful, he might be in the room. Yeah, how many of you don't have, but you are the boss and everybody wants to change from you? Okay, yep, yep, yep. I understand. I do understand that one. Yes. Uh, let me tell you what I mean by that. Take a look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. It says, well, let's read it together. You ready? Do this enthusiastically. Here we go. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. He becomes your boss. Change your boss on the job. Realize that he puts you there. He's going to use you there. And you are to do your work as unto him, as, as, as if you reported to him. 
And so that's just kind of funny mind games, isn't it, Pastor? No, it's more than that. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We begin to think and believe differently. And, and, we, and God changes us, transforms us. Do that with your job. Change bosses. Now, you can do this without changing jobs, without changing organizations. And you're still responsible for people in your organization, two people in your organization, and probably four people in your organization. But make the Lord Jesus Christ your boss, your supervisor. And he's a darn good one. And he's the smartest supervisor you'll ever have. You know, he's the most intelligent person in the universe. He knows everything there is to know about your job. In fact, he made it up. And so why not ask him what to do and how to do it? To, to be a blessing to your company and to your customers and to your fellow work associates. And see, when he becomes your boss, then you realize this is not just the place I earn my paycheck. It is the place from which I launch my ministry for Christ. You begin to see the other people you work with and the public that you deal with as people who are uh, for whom Christ died, who are in need of kindness and God's grace. And, and it can be expressed through you through you to them. And, and your, your work becomes an adventure. Of, Lord, what are you going to do next? What's our assignment today? What do we get to do today? It is a great, great way to wake up and go to work. Change bosses. Say it with me. Change bosses. Jesus Christ becomes your boss, your supervisor on the job. You serve the Lord Christ as the scriptures say. And it will, it will set you free from workaholism. Because he's a darn good boss. He, doesn't want him, he does not overwork his people. He wants you to be in it for the long haul. Change careers, possibly. Certainly change your identity. Absolutely change your boss. And the fourth way, you can break the bonds of workaholism and the overload that it brings in your life is this one. Change your desires. Change your desires. Change what motivates you. Okay, we have to go back to the question that we ask almost every week here now, and it is this one. What is it inside me that's making me behave the way I'm behaving? Why do I do this? Why do I live this way? Why can't I turn off uh, the work demands? Why am I always bringing it home? Why am I, why am I, why am I driven? What, what's in, what is wrong? Something's wrong with us. Internally, why am I doing this? It's because we believe... Listen, let me just talk to those of you who are followers of Jesus already. It is because... Probably, not intentionally, but just by default, we have, we have decided that there's something that we need to make our life good, to make our life rich, to make our life fulfilling in addition to Jesus. And so we're pursuing it. We've got to add that on, and, it will make, then that'll, that'll, and, and we're doing it with our work. Now, there are three motivations. There are more than that, but there are three that will drive us in this direction. Maybe you are working this way because you have the desire for more stuff. More money, more cars, more clothes, you know, more, more stuff. We, we live a consumer lifestyle and we want more and more and, and more. It, it's one of the gods of this world uh, materialism and it, it can grip us and the Bible says God says in the Bible that this is the source of many many problems in our lives in James chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 God says this what is the source of wars and fights among you don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you 
You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, wrong desires, so that you may spend it on your own evil desires. That may be what's driving us, what our desire is. But there's a second one. It may be uh, your desire for security. Could be my desire for security. Deep down inside, there might be a sense of insecurity. It's, it's a fear. It's a fear that I won't have and my family won't have what they need when they need it if I don't work this hard. And so it drives us, uh, it drives us to work like we can control the future. We cannot. We cannot. But it drives us there. We do not control the future. I, I, I can just control the outcome of my life if I just work hard enough. I can secure my place in the market as long as I'm working. And it's not true. Insecurity may be driving us. Uh, there's a third one, and it's a big one. And it, it might be my desire for approval. The Bible has a term for this. Jot this down in your notes. It's call, it calls it fear of man. Fear of man. I mentioned a book to you a couple of years ago in here that uh, is written about this sub subject. And the title of it is when, when people are big and God is small. That's what we do. People are bigger and, 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 and more important to us. And their approval are more important to us than what God wants in our, in our lives. The, the, fear, the need for approval. Now, this is a little deeper. This is more insidious. This is, this is, uh, this is malignant. And it drives us toward workaholism. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my daddy's blessing if it kills me. And probably will. And he's probably already dead because he did the same thing. And therefore, you're never going to hear him say those words. This, you did really good. Many of us are working ourselves into the grave trying to get the approval of people who will never give it. And sometimes we're trying to get the approval of people who hadn't thought about us in years. Some high school teacher or coach, your buddies in school, uh, your, some professor somewhere, the other people in, who serve in the same field that you serve in, the competitive Thing. We're working to get the approval of people, and it will not satisfy. Their approval is bigger than the approval of Jesus, and we will tend to overwork. Well, what do you do about those? The desire for more stuff, the desire for security, the desire for uh, approval. Well, let me tell you what you can't do, what will not work. You ready? You can't just, you don't have the ability to just stop having a desire for stuff. I'm just going to cease a desire for security. I'm going to no longer have a desire for people's approval. It doesn't work that way. You can't turn them off. You have to, here's the word, replace them. You have to replace one desire with another. You have to replace an inappropriate desire with an appropriate desire. You have to replace a destructive desire with a productive, healthy desire. And there's only one in the Bible that works, and it is this one. It is the desire to know and to love and to enjoy God. That's it. You make knowing God, knowing Christ, enjoying Christ, serving Christ, uh, loving Christ, 
the top priority of your life, the highest priority of your life, the pursuit of your life. The apostle, it was the Apostle Paul's one magnificent obsession to know Christ. To know Him. Again, not just know about Him, uh, but to know Him intimately. To, to the place that you look forward to being with Him and, and you enjoy Him and you hear His voice and you know what He wants you to do and you live under His care and provision and supervision uh, on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. We replace the other desires with the desire to know Christ. Now, the amazing thing is that when we make our primary motivation in life knowing Jesus Christ, He takes care of those other big three. He takes care of our need for material things, our sense of security, our need for approval. We get all of that right along with knowing Christ. He is the source of those things. Here's how it's... So where do you find that? Write, it, write this down, Matthew six thirty three. I think I've given you the reference. Maybe not. Matthew six thirty three. It's on the screen. But seek first the kingdom of God. That means living in relationship with Him in His kingdom, under His rule, under His care and supervision... Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be provided for you as well. We know Christ. Now the Apostle Paul was a man uh, who had all of the outward uh, symbols of success. He had a sterling, he had sterling credentials in the culture of his day. He had a stellar education. He had prominence in the community. He was in civic leadership. He was the rising star in the religious organization of his day. And yet, when he met Christ, he was no longer defined by his resume. Here's what he says in Philippians 3. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There it is again, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not knowing about, but knowing. Knowing. The surpa- I love that. The surpassing value. He said that is the highest value. There's nothing better. Nothing better than knowing Jesus. Nothing better than knowing Jesus. There's nothing better than knowing Jesus. There's nothing better than knowing Jesus. I know Him. Do you? Do you? The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, because of Him, Paul says, I've suffered the loss of all these other things. Consider them filth, rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. One translation says it this way, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. When you desire a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ that grows increasingly deeper throughout your life, you will be set free from the burden of workaholism. So let's start by being prayerful. Let's start by doing what I encourage you to do early in this talk, and that's pray and ask God. We're going to 
move into an unhurried time of prayer, about eight or nine minutes here. Plenty of time left in the services, so stick with us. And our, our pastors and our ministers and our elders and uh, other men and women who we've uh, trained for this task are be taking their places around the sides and across the front here, and they're here to pray for you. Now, Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. That we are now entering into the most important thing you and I can do in our time of worship with God, and that's speak to Him directly and have Him speak to us. And, and over and over in the Scriptures, He will say things like, uh, He tells us, pray for one another, pray for one another, pray for one another. We see it modeled uh, everywhere. I'm going to need anybody, thank you, Mark, anybody other... Uh, some of you group leaders, we're going to need more people than this praying with folks. We've got somebody in the balcony. Any of you men and women who are uh, group leaders, if you wouldn't mind stepping up too, just in case somebody needs to pray. Maybe not. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll see. I'll call you out if we have more than we, more people who need prayer than we have prayers. But uh, this is a time to pray. Do you have, uh, do you need God's help with overload? then come and let somebody pray for you. Do, do you need God's help in changing careers? Then come, let's, let someone pray for you about that. Do you, need, do you need help changing the way you view yourself and changing your identity to in Christ from being in work? Then come and have someone pray with you about it. Do you need uh, God's help in changing your boss? Then come, let's, uh, let's pray for, for those things. Do you need God's help uh, in changing your motivation, your desires, your drives from, from a desire for stuff or insecurity or approval to knowing Christ? Then come, let one of us pray for you, pray with you. Uh, sometimes it helps. I don't know why God has us do this, but we see frequently in the Scriptures that God's people would do something physically, would move, change bodily positions when they would pray. It somehow helps us draw near to God. We would see the, sometimes the people would stand and look in the temple. Sometimes people would bow their heads. Sometimes people would kneel before God. We even hear of people saying that they would just lie down on the floor before God. Do something to help you get into God's presence and get His help. Uh, sometimes in these crowds, I'll just get stand up and I'll turn around and make my chair the place where I kneel uh, when we're crowded in here. That's common. You may want to do that as well. So, let's draw near to God and pray for each other and ask God for help. Lord, meet with us now. Help us to draw near to you as you draw near to us to get your help with these things. Now you pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.